take your Bibles out, turn to Romans 5. We are going to look today at Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And as we do this, we are going to consider one of the foremost passages on the conscience. And my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, it is our privilege and joy to be able to consider God's Word and what it says about the conscience. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we study His Word together. Father, thank You for the grace that You have shown us to give us that measure of health to be here today, to give us that measure of wellness to be able to gather, to give us that will to obey Your commandment to come into Your courts to give us that freedom that we have to do so without any kind of imprisonment for the moment, as so many brothers and sisters in the Lord do not have that same freedom, to have your word in our own language that we can understand, which some people in the world don't have. Father, we pray that we would take advantage of this wonderful privilege you've given us today and help us to benefit from it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I was traveling through Washington, D.C. with my family on the 495 bypass. And for anyone who has traveled that road, you know that getting through our nation's capital is a terrible experience. Washington, D.C. is one of the cities that has some of the worst traffic in the United States of America. A lot of the time and on the highways, you are in a standstill for a long, long time. Now, to move things along, they have these express lanes that have been made. So you have the northbound and the southbound, and in between those lanes, you have the express lanes. And depending on what time of day, the express lanes either run north or they can be manipulated to be running traffic south. On one day, when we were traveling south, we were passing through Washington, D.C., and I was in the express lane. I had been in the center express lane for a long time, and thankfully on that day, things were moving fairly quickly at that point. But all of a sudden, my GPS went red, red, and it screamed at me. You're going the wrong way down the road. Turn around. I said, wow, that got my attention. Well, today we are commencing a series on the conscience. And like the voice of my GPS, the conscience screams for people to go the right way. The problem is that people live their lives going the wrong way. And living like that is hazardous. It's hazardous like driving the wrong way down the road. And there are a lot of people who actually do that. And unlike the movies where you can do so safely, it seems, people wreck in those situations. So it is that people, when they are going the wrong way down the road of life, lead lives of sadness, of fear, depression, and despair. But thankfully, 
God has given us a means for us to lead a better life. Because He's given us a conscience. And in the course of our study, we are going to learn what the conscience is, how it works, and how it can be developed. And as we go through our study of the conscience, we're going to look at at least three different units of material. We're going to look at the term for the conscience. The term for the conscience does not occur in the Old Testament. It does occur about 30 times in the New Testament. We're going to look at words that are synonymous with the term for conscience. For example, the term in the Old Testament, heart, sometimes refers to the conscience. Some of you remember back to King David who is hiding in a cave. And it just so happened that King Saul went into the same cave. And you remember that David cut off the corner of King Saul's robe. And when he did so, the text tells us that his heart smote him. It struck him. That was his conscience at work. So sometimes the term conscience isn't used, but we know that's what it's referring to. Other times, we're just going to have examples in the Scriptures of Bible characters whose consciences are at work, whether it's Cain or Judas or Felix, people who we see responding to their conscience. So today, what we're going to do is simply introduce this topic. We're going to answer the question of what is the conscience and what should I think about the conscience? So two simple points this morning. Let's first consider... What is the conscience? I worked on this definition for a long time, and then yesterday I had to tweak it, which is very unsettling. But this is what I've come to. And as I've said with other series, this is the one that I'm working with for now. I hope I don't have to tweak the definition in the course of the series. When we went over contentment, I had a definition for contentment. And you begin a series hoping that what you get to, you're going to end on. And I'm hoping that when we get to the end of the series, I'm still going to be able to say, this is what the conscience is. Here's a go. The conscience is your inner impulse to do what you should do. The conscience is your inner impulse to do what you should do. And this inner impulse is universal. We're going to learn this from Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And what we're going to see is that everybody has a conscience. So looking at Romans 2, this is where Paul teaches that the Gentiles are condemned just as the Jews are condemned, even though the Jews have the advantage of the law of God to guide them. The Gentiles are still condemned. Look at verse 14. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. So Paul is saying that the Gentiles do what they should do, even though they don't have the law like the Jews. That is, people who aren't religious periodically do the right thing. And that is to say, your unsaved neighbor at times tells the truth. Or at times he works for what he has instead of stealing to get what he wants. And what that is, 
is someone doing the right thing, even though they don't have some kind of moral code, a religious code, the Bible telling them that's the right thing. You say, well, why would they do that kind of thing even though they're not being taught by the Bible to do it? Look at verse 15. They, the Gentiles, show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So Paul's point is that the Gentiles, the people who are not religious, who are not among the people of God, the Jews, the Gentiles have a sense of right and wrong in their heart, and they have an impulse to do what they should do. Okay, if the Gentiles have a conscience, do the Jews, do God's people, do believers have a conscience? Absolutely. The Apostle Paul had a conscience, and he was a Jew, and he talks about his conscience in a number of places, including Romans chapter 9, verse 1. But what we find here is that Romans 2 is teaching us that God has pre-programmed mankind with a sense of right and wrong, and he has given mankind an impulse to do what's right. Every single person has that. Every single person has a sense of fairness. People are incurably judgmental because they have this sense. They have this impulse for the right. Now, having said that, we also have to realize that man has fallen because of Adam and the curse and sin. So man's sense, man's knowledge has been corrupted to a degree. And it is often the case that people reject the impulse to do what's right. That's the state of man. But regardless of all those things, the bottom line is that everyone has a conscience. You have a conscience. The person next to you has a conscience because they are human. Now, for the most part, that is not a new concept to most of us. So, we know we have a conscience. And the popular way of thinking about a conscience is a shoulder angel. Perhaps you've seen a comic or a cartoon where a character is faced with a decision. And all of a sudden, you see an angel pop up on his right shoulder and a demon or the devil pop up on his other shoulder. And so you have the good angel telling you what you should do. You have the devil or a demon tempting you to do the wrong thing. And it's the conscience who is, who is pictorially presented as the one telling you to do what is right. Now, that's not what we're talking about, but that's how people perceive the conscience. It's a shoulder angel. Other people think of the conscience as Jiminy Cricket. That's how I grew up. I grew up with the story of Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket. Some of you recall that Pinocchio was the little wooden boy who was not yet a real boy. But he was told that he should be brave, truthful, and unselfish. And if he did so, one day he would become a real boy. And to aid him on that quest, he was given a little talking grasshopper named Jiminy Cricket. And it was his job to point Pinocchio in the right direction. 
And you remember, sometimes Pinocchio listened to his conscience, and other times he didn't. But that's one of the ways we think of, we conceptualize something telling us what we ought to be doing. Later on in life, we studied Shakespeare. We read plays like Hamlet. And perhaps you remember one of the famous lines from the play Hamlet. For those of you who don't know the story of Hamlet, Hamlet was the prince of Denmark. And he was trying to figure out whether or not his uncle had killed his father. And the way he figured it out was by inviting his uncle to a play. And it was in that play that a man murders his brother. And Hamlet thought this, I am going to observe my uncle. And when that takes place in the play, and here's the line, the play's the thing wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. So that is to say, people understand what conscience is. Literature is fraught with conscience everywhere. Heroes are faced with decisions of conscience. People know what the conscience is. Everyone has one. And the Bible teaches that too. But we need to dig deeper. And I want us to consider a second point that we learned about the conscience in Romans 2.15. Not only is this inner impulse universal, this inner impulse is informed. It's informed. The conscience knows what's inside. It knows what is within a man. I want you to look at verse 15 and consider what is in a person that the conscience would know. What is in man? Well, you see at the front of the verse that the conscience knows the work of the law that is written by God on the heart. That work of the law is that inner standard or sense of what is right and wrong. God has put that in us. He has pre-programmed us with that. It's been corrupted, but there are portions of it that still function and give us that sense of right and wrong. And remember, it is the Gentiles who have that in contrast to the Jews who not only have a conscience and the law written on their heart, they actually have the law of God written, revealed to them. That is also a standard that informs them of what is right and wrong. The Gentiles don't have that advantage, but they do have the work of the law written on their heart. You say, well, where is all this going? This is an important point you need to grasp. A person's sense of right and wrong is made up of both internal and external moral standards. Every person has an internal standard that's been written by God on their heart and been corrupted by the fall. And every person also has external standards of what is right and wrong. The Jews had the Bible, as we'd say. But there are many, many other voices that compel us to see things the way they see it. So, for example... A politician would say, rob the rich to feed the poor. Or a scientist says, smoking causes lung cancer. Or 
our age of authenticity shouts, be true to yourself, do whatever you want to do. You see, all of those voices are screaming for us to say, this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. At every turn, we are being pressured by our society with what they think is right and wrong. And what our conscience does is process all of those internal and external standards and it urges us to do what it senses to be the right thing. That's how the conscience functions. So the conscience knows something. The conscience knows what is within you that you believe is right and wrong because it urges you to do what you know. There's something else that the conscience knows in verse 15. Have you seen it yet? Did you find it? Not only is the work of the law within a man, but we also see that the conscience knows the reasonings of the heart. You know that you can do the right thing for the wrong reason and your conscience knows that you did that? You can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and the conscience isn't duped into thinking, oh, he did it for the right reason. The conscience knows you did it for the wrong reason because it knows your thoughts. You can't hide your thoughts from your conscience. Your conscience has full access to what you're thinking and what you believe is right and wrong. He is aware if we can personify him. So the question is, if the conscience knows my sense of right and wrong, and the conscience knows what I'm thinking, what I'm reasoning, what I'm choosing, what does the conscience do with those things? Well, we see a third point this morning. The conscience, the inner impulse, is categorical by nature. That is to say, the conscience either approves or rejects based upon... Your sense of right and wrong, the conscience compels you to act in a certain way or to think a certain way or to speak in a certain way. And the conscience judges your thoughts. The conscience is approving when your thoughts, when your actions, when your reasons align with what you ought to do. Your conscience says, well, that's good. Go ahead. Or it would reject certain things if they don't align with what you should do. Your conscience would say, now that's bad. Don't. That's how the conscience works. And of course, when we think through this further, we realize that the conscience works before we do something or say something or think something. And the conscience works after we do something, say something, or think something. So in a positive way, the conscience says to us, we'll do this. And when we do it, the conscience then says, well done. In a negative way, the conscience says, well, don't do that. When we choose to do that, the conscience says to us, you shouldn't have done that. Remember, the conscience is always pushing us towards what we think is right. What this is trying to show us is that the conscience is not dealing with anything as far as a maybe The conscience works in black and white. There is no gray with the conscience. The conscience is like an on-off switch. It's not a dimmer that adjusts. 
The conscience deals in pass or fail, not in percentages. It's trying to show us that the conscience simply takes our reasoning and it sets it up against the standard of what we believe to be right and wrong. That's how the conscience works. And it either says, yes, they match, or no, they don't match. All right, so that's how the conscience works. Now, is it worth us taking time to talk about it? I mean, how important is the conscience? To say it another way, a more popular way, how important was Jiminy Cricket to Pinocchio? I mean, did the cricket really matter at all? Well, as we look through Scripture, we realize you should value your conscience. You should value your conscience. Romans 14.22 said, says this, Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment. That's something that the conscience does. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. That's simply saying that the person who lives with a clear conscience is blessed to the degree that your life is happy and joyful. It is directly related to how you relate to your conscience. You see, you could be a person who faces great difficulties and great challenges in life, but you can still be joyful because you have a clear conscience. Or you could be a person who lives an American life of luxury and ease, but have a miserable life because you have a guilty conscience. So value your conscience. And one of the ways, the key way that we value our conscience is by listening to the conscience. Do what you think you should do. And don't do what you think you shouldn't do. You should say what you think you should say. You should think what you think you should think. Why? Because God gave you a conscience and he intends you to use it. It's calling you to accept the right and reject the wrong. Back to the story of Pinocchio again. It's not that Pinocchio is the Bible in any way, but I think it's something that we can at least relate to and understand quickly. You remember how when Pinocchio first met Jiminy, Jiminy sang a song to Pinocchio, and that song was, Give a Little Whistle. The point was, Pinocchio needed to realize there were times he wouldn't know what to do. And when he didn't know what to do, he was supposed to whistle. He was supposed to call for Jiminy Cricket. And it was Jiminy Cricket who would point Pinocchio down the straight and narrow path. And the end of that song, the refrain of of all those stanzas says this, Always let your conscience be your guide. Now, is that biblical? Are you supposed to always let your conscience be your guide? Well, what's the opposite of doing what you think you should do? Because the conscience is calling you to do what you think you should do. The opposite of listening to your conscience is doing what you think you shouldn't do. The opposite is when you think that you shouldn't do something, you decide to do it anyway. 
It's you deciding to do what you believe is wrong. That's going against the conscience. That's not good. Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Let's look at it together. Romans chapter 14, verse 23. That's one verse after the verse I just quoted to you, talking about the one who is blessed is the one who has a clear conscience. Now, right into the next verse, we get into the stuff of what is in Romans 14, the stuff of eating or not eating. Notice what verse 23 says. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So in the context here, we have a person who is doubting. He is thinking in his heart, I shouldn't do this, but I'm doing it anyway. If you are thinking, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway, that is sin. The truth that we all have to wrap our minds around is this. Listen to what your conscience says. If we choose to think, act, or speak against our conscience, what we are doing is living a life of conflict. We're having part of us say, go this way, and we're saying, I'm going to go that way. And when people live a life like that, that is a life of guilt because they are continually doing what they believe is wrong. And that is not good. James talks about this kind of person as a double-minded man. He's a man who is unstable in all of his ways. And that typifies many of the people who live around us, who don't know the Lord, who are regularly going against what they know better than to do. They're doing what ought not be done. And that's the, that's the language that Paul uses. James uses the language of one who's unstable. A man like this is like a, a ship on the sea that rocks back and forth. James talks about this person who goes against his conscience, goes against what he knows to be right. He's saying this person is leading a shaky life. Paul teaches that there are folks who do what ought not to be done. And those kinds of folks live shameless lives. Romans 1, 27 and 28. We realize that God gives these kinds of people up to do privately what is unnatural. Those people become debased in their mind so that they come to the point that they openly approve of those people who do the things that ought not be done. Their thinking becomes convoluted. So people who will go against conscience are unstable. They act unnaturally. The bottom line is this. It is not a good thing for anyone to go against conscience and to live going the other way when the conscience is saying, turn around. Popularly, Martin Luther made this point when he was at the Deet of Worms He was compelled to recant all the things that he had written. And he said he's not going to do that. He said to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. I'm convinced these things are true. I can't go against what I believe to be right, Martin Luther said. 
and he illustrated the right point. I want to illustrate it just a little bit further by talking about that voice on the GPS. That voice on the GPS. You see, the GPS is our modern-day map. It gives you a sense of direction. It shows you the streets. But it's the voice of the GPS that urges you towards your destination. It's that voice that's like the conscience. The question is, have you ever muted the voice on your GPS or on your phone, turned her down, turned him down? You say, well, I know where I'm going. I know where I need to go. I don't need anyone telling me where I need to go. Well, sometimes that's true if you're familiar with things, but you know what? There are times that you're not familiar And there are times that you go thinking you know the way and you realize you're lost. You get all turned around. How much better it would be if you just turn the voice of the GPS up and you turned right when the GPS turned right. The same is true when it comes to the conscience. You and I need to keep the volume up when it comes to what the conscience is is urging us to do. Now, there's someone here, I'm sure, if not, I'm all by myself in thinking this, but there's someone here who is thinking, now, Pastor, you can't always listen to your GPS because there are times that the GPS has directed people right into a river or right into a building because they said that that's where the road went, but there was no such road. The GPS has led them astray. I understand that, and that actually works with the point that I'm about to make. We should listen to our conscience, but secondly, and very, very importantly, you need to look to the Lord for what you should do. Listen to your conscience, but look to the Lord for what you should do because God's Word informs us as to our sense of right and wrong. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word guides us. It informs us. Isaiah said, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. You see, our, our conscience works based on our sense of right and wrong. And sometimes, perhaps a lot of times, we can think that something is right when it's actually not right. We can be wrongly informed about what is right and what is wrong. So, for example, some people believe that access to abortion is a human right. And they don't feel any problem with believing that with saying it, with marching for it. But they need God's Word to inform them and to recalibrate their sense of what is right and what is wrong. So just like electronics, our moral standard of what is right and wrong needs to be frequently updated so it can be in submission to the Word of God. We need frequent updates Because what we perceive to be right isn't always right. There's actually only one person. There's only one person 
who had the right view of what is right and what is wrong. It was only Jesus Christ who perfectly aligned to the will of God. The rest of us have to spend our time aligning ourselves to what God says is right and what is wrong. I say that because it's not just that we have the Bible to tell us what's right and wrong. We have voices all around us. Our society tells us things. And God has given us things that we're supposed to listen to. God's kids, God has given you parents that he expects you to listen to. Because you're supposed to obey them, Ephesians 6.1. God has given the church pastors, and their people of the church are called to obey their leaders and submit to them, Hebrews 13.17. Why? Because parents and pastors and fellow church members who build up other people in the Lord, what they do is they remind you, they remind me of what God says in his word. That's why parents throughout the week refer to what God says in the Bible, as Deuteronomy 6 tells them to do that. Do so. That's why I, as a pastor, ask you repeatedly in the course of a Sunday sermon to look down at your Bible, because I want what you trust in to not be simply what I say, but what you actually see on the page, that it is what God said. Or that another fellow believer Fellow brother or sister and the Lord reminds you of what the Bible says and how it can impact your life. The point is, it's the Word of God that we need because God is the ultimate standard of what is right and wrong. The way I see it needs to give way to the way that He sees it. Now, I've been talking a bit conceptually. Let's get an example so that everyone can understand it, okay? There was a character in the Bible who had a thought of what was right, and he was challenged with what he thought was right. We find him in Acts chapter 10. His name is Peter. Peter was on top of his house praying. And in the course of his time there, he fell into a trance, and God showed him all kinds of animals on a sheet that was let down from heaven. And you remember that there was a voice from heaven that said, kill and eat. And perhaps you remember the story because there was a problem with that command. Some of those animals were not on the menu for a Jew according to the Jewish law, according to the law of Moses. They were common and unclean. So Peter responded to the heavenly command with what he thought was right. He said, by no means, Lord. God said, kill and eat. He responds, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. What is Peter doing? He's saying, if I kill and eat, I will be going against my conscience. This is the reply from heaven, verse 15. What God has made clean, do not call common. Say, what happened? God told Peter to recalibrate his sense of right and wrong. Say, can God do that? Absolutely. Because he is the ultimate standard of what is right and wrong. And we realize that Peter very quickly changed. He came to understand God's plan for redemption was going to include the Gentiles. 
So our, our consciences are something that has to be calibrated because our sense of what is right and wrong might not actually be what is right and wrong. Sometimes our consciences can go the wrong way, tell us the wrong thing. When I was in Washington, D.C., the voice of my GPS screamed at me and said, Stop! You're going the wrong way down the road. Turn around. I tell you, that made me nervous real fast. I wasn't going the wrong way. I looked around me and double-checked and seeing all the cards around me going the same way I was going, I had the sense I am going the right way down the road. Okay, sometimes, sometimes our sense of right and wrong couldn't be wrong. But if our sense of right and wrong is scripturally informed, is what God wants for us, then we need to listen. We can't be like Jonah the prophet. You remember him? He was the one that God said, go to Nineveh. And when God said that, you know what his conscience did? His conscience clicked in the course. Nineveh. What did Jonah do? He turned and went to Joppa so that he could go to Tarshish. And as soon as he did so, do you know what happened in his mind? His conscience began to flash. Wrong way. Wrong way. Turn around. Go to Nineveh. You know, God has given us a conscience, and we need to listen to it. It's a good gift. And as we listen to it, God aims to bless us and give us a wonderful, joyful life. Father, help us as we consider this. Help us to walk in your way. We are thankful for all the means you have given us to do so. Father, we are often uh, in, in that sense that we have noticed our shortcomings. We've noticed the times that we've turned away and how sad and how terrible and despairing and depressing those times have been. We pray that we would be people who are sensitive to our consciences, sensitive to do what we believe we should do. Help us to be obedient to walk in the way. And we praise you for what you have done in helping us understand these things today. In Jesus' name, amen.